0: Chapter twenty two of Highways and Byways in Sussex. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Highways and Byways in Sussex by e v Lucas. Chapter twenty two. Cuckfield. Haywards Heath on the London line would be our next centre were it not so new and suburban. Fortunately, Cuckfield, which has two coaching inns and many of the signs of the leisurely past, is close by, in the midst of very interesting country, with a church standing high on the ridge to the south of the town, broadside to the Weald. Its spire a landmark for miles. Cuckfield Place, a house and park according to Shelley, which abounded in bits of Mrs Radcliffe, is described in Harrison Ainsworth's Rookwood, it was in the avenue leading from the gates to the house that that fatal tree stood a limb of which fell as the presage of the death of a member of the family so runs the legend knowledge of the tree is however disclaimed by the gatekeeper Ockenden house in cuckfield has been for many years in the possession of the burrell family one of whom timothy burrell an ancestor of the antiquary left some interesting account books Which contain in addition to figures many curious and sardonic entries and some ingenious hieroglyphics. I quote here and there from the Sussex Archaeological Society's extracts by way of illustrating the life of a Sussex squire in those days, sixteen eighty three to seventeen fourteen. Seventeen o five paid gosmark for making cider one day, whilst John Coachman was to be drunk with the carrier's money by agreement and i paid twopence to the glazier for mending john's casement broken at night by him when he was drunk seventeen o six twenty fifth march paid john coachman by ned virgo that he may be drunk all the easter week in part of his wages due one pound this was the fare provided on january the first seventeen o seven for thirteen guests plum pottage calves head and bacon goose, pig, plum pottage, roast beef, sirloin, veal, a loin, goose, plum pottage, boiled beef, a clod, two baked puddings, three dishes of minced pies, two capons, two dishes of tarts, two pullets. Plum porridge, it may interest some to know, was made thus. Take of beef soup made of legs of beef, twelve quarts. If you wish it to be particularly good, add a couple of tongues to be boiled therein put fine bread sliced soaked and crumbled raisins of the sun currants and prunes, two pounds of each lemons nutmegs mace and cloves are to be boiled with it in a muslin bag add a quart of red wine and let this be followed after half an hour's boiling by a pint of sack put it into a cool place and it will keep through christmas mr burrell giving a small dinner to four friends offered them peas pottage two carps, two tench, capon, pullet, fried oysters, baked pudding, roast leg of mutton, apple pudding, goose, tarts, minced pies. It is perhaps not surprising that the host had occasionally to take the waters of Ditchling, which are no longer drunk medicinally, or to dose himself with hire picre. One more dinner, this time for four guests, who presumably were more worthy of attention. A soup take-off. Two large carps at the upper end. Pigeon pie, salad, veal, or Leg of mutton and cutlets at the lower end. Three rosed chickens. Scotch pancakes, tarts, asparagus. Three green geese at the lower end. In the room of the chickens removed four-sauced mackerel. Raisins in cream at the upper end. Calf's foot jelly, dried sweetmeats. Calf's foot jelly, flummery, savoury cakes. IMPERIAL CREAM AT THE LOWER END In October, 1709, Mr. Burrell writes in Latin, From this time I have resolved, as long as the dearth of provisions continues, to give to the poor who apply for it at the door on Sundays twelve pounds of beef every week, on the 11th of February four pounds more, in all sixteen pounds, and a bushel of wheat and half a bushel of barley in four weeks. From Board Hill, to the north east of Cuckfield, is supposed to have come Andrew Board, the original Mary Andrew. Among the later Boards who lived there was George Board, in whose copy of Natura Brevium and Tenores Novelli bound together, given him by John Sackville of Chiddingley Park, is written, "Sidera non tot habet calum, nec flumina pisces, quatt sclera gerit femina dolos, dixit burdas. Which Mr. Lower translates Quoth board, with stars the skies abound, with fish the flowing waters, but far more numerous I have found the tricks of Eve's fair daughters. This board would be a relative of the famous Andrew, priest, doctor, and satirist, fourteen ninety to fifteen forty-nine, who may indeed have been the author of the distic above. It is certainly in his vein. Andrew Board gave up his vows as a Carthusian on account of their rigorosity, and he became a doctor travelling much on the continent. Several books are known to be his, chief among them the Dietary and Breviary of Health. He wrote also an Itinerary of England, and is credited by some with the Merry Tales of the Mad Men of Gotham. Lower and Horsfield, indeed, hold that the Gotham intended was not the Nottinghamshire village, but Gotham near Pevensey, where Board had property. That he knew something of Sussex is shown by Bord's Book of Knowledge, where he mentions the old story, then a new one, that no nightingale will sing in St. Leonard's forest. It is the Book of Knowledge, that has for frontispiece the picture of a naked englishman with a pair of shears in one hand and a piece of cloth over the other arm saying i am an englishman and naked i stand here musing in my mind what raiment i shall wear for now i will wear this and now i will wear that now i will wear i cannot tell what we shall see andrew again when we come to pevensey a glimpse of the orderly mind of a pre-reformation cuckfield yeoman is given in a will quoted recently in the sussex daily news in an interesting series of articles on the county under the title of old-time sussex in the year of our lord god fifteen forty five the twenty-sixth day of june i thomas gaston of the pish of Cuckfield, psyche in body whole and of perfect memory ordain and make this my last will and test in manner and former following first i bequeath my soul to almighty god or our lady st mary and all the holy company of heaving my body to be buried in the churchyard of cookfield item to the mother church of chichester fourpence item to the high altar of cookfield fourpence item i will have at my burial five masses in likewise at my month's mind and also at my yearly mind all the charge of the church set apart i will have in meat and drink and to poor people ten shillings at every time the high altar was frequently mentioned favourably in these old wills another cuckfields testator in fifteen thirty nine left to the high altar For tithes and oblations negligently forgotten, sixpence. The same student of the Calendar of Sussex Wills in the District Probate Registry at Lewis between 1541 and 1652, which the British Record Society have just published, copies the following passage from the will of Gerard Onstey in 1568. To Mary, my daughter, twenty pounds, The feather-bed that I lie upon, the bolsters and coverlet of tapestella work, with a blanket, four pairs of sheet, that is to say four pairs of the best flaxen, and other two pairs of the best hempen, the great brass pot that her mother bought, the best board-cloth, table-cloth, a lime and wheel, i.e. spinning-wheel, that was her mother's, the chafing-dish that hangeth in the parlour. In those simple days everything was prized, In one of these Sussex wills, in 1594, Richard Ferndean, a labourer, left to his brother Stephen his best doublet, his best jerkin, and his best shoes, and to Bernard Ross his white doublet, his leathern doublet, and his worst breeches. Three miles west of Cuckfield is Bolney, just off the London Road, a village in the southern boundary of St Leonard's Forest, the key to some very rich country, before the days of bicycles bolney was practically unknown so retired is it the church which has a curious pinnacled tower nearly three hundred years old is famous for its bells concerning whose melody horsfield gives the following piece of counsel those who are fond of the silvery tones of bells may enjoy them to perfection by placing themselves on the margin of a large pond the property of mr w marshall the reverberation of the sound coming off the water is peculiarly striking. Sixty years ago this sheet of water had an additional attraction, says Mr. Knox. During the months of May and June 1843, an osprey was observed to haunt the large ponds near Bolney. After securing a fish, he used to retire to an old tree on the more exposed bank to devour it, and about the close of evening was in the habit of flying off towards the north sometimes carrying away a prize in his talons if his sport had been unusually successful as if he dreaded being disturbed at his repast during the dangerous hours of twilight having been shot at several times without effect his visits to these ponds became gradually less frequent but the surrounding covers being unpreserved and the bird itself too wary to suffer a near approach he escaped the fate of many of his congeners and even reappeared with a companion early in the following september to whom he seemed to have imparted his salutary dread of man, his mortal enemy, for during the short time they remained there it was impossible to approach within gunshot of either of them. The indirect road from Bolney to Hand Cross, through Warning Lidder and Slorm, parallel with the Coaching Road, is superb, taking us again into the Iron Country, and very near to Leonard's Lee, which we have already seen. The glory of Slaum Place is no more, But one visible sign of it is preserved in Lewes in the town hall, In the shape of its old staircase. Slaum Place was the seat of the Covert family, Whose estates extended, says Tradition, from Southwark to the Sea, And, says the more exact horsefield, From Crawley to Hangleton above Brighton. Slaum Park used to cover 1,200 acres, The church being within it, perhaps nowhere in sussex is the change so complete as here and within recent times too for horsfield quotes in eighteen thirty five the testimony of an aged person whom the present rector buried about twenty-five years back who used to relate that he remembers when the family at slawm park or place consisted of seventy persons Horsfield continues in a footnote, the natural receptacle of many of his most interesting statements, The name of the aged person alluded to was Harding, who died at nearly one hundred. According to his statement, the family were so numerous they kept constantly employed mechanics of every description who resided on the premises. A conduit which supplied the mansion with water is now used by the inhabitants of the village. The kitchen fireplace still remains, of immense size, with the irons that supported the cooking apparatus. The arms of the coverts, with many impalements and quarterings, yet remain on the ruins. The principal entrance was from the east, and the grand front to the north. The pillars at the entrance fluted with seats on each side are still there. According to the statement of the above person, there was a chapel attached to the mansion at the west part. The mill-pond flowed over nearly forty acres, according to a person's statement who occupied the mill many years. The ruins, little changed since Horsfield wrote, stand in a beautiful old-world garden, which the traveller must certainly endeavour to enter. A mile north of slawm is Hand Cross, a Clapham junction of highways, whence Crawley is easily reached. Crawley, however, beyond a noble church, Has no interest, its distinction being that it is halfway between London and Brighton on the high road, its distinction and its misfortune. One would be hard put to it to think of a less desirable existence than that of dwelling on a dusty road and continually seeing people hurrying either from Brighton to London or from London to Brighton. Coaches, phaetons, motor-cars, bicycles pass through Crawley so numerously as almost to constitute one elongated vehicle, like the moving platform at the last Paris exhibition. And not only travellers on wheels, for since the fashion for walking came in, Crawley has had new excitements, or monotonies in the shape of walking stockbrokers, walking butchers, walking auctioneers, clerks, walking Austrians pushing their families in wheelbarrows, walking bricklayers carrying hods of bricks, walking acrobats on stilts, all striving to get to Brighton within a certain time, and all accompanied by judges, referees, and friends. At Hand Cross, lower on the road, the numbers diminish, but every competitor seems to be able to reach Crawley perhaps because the railway-station adjoins the high road. It was not, for example, until he reached Crawley that the Austrian's wheelbarrow broke down. On the other side of the line, two miles northeast of Haywards Heath, is Lindfield, with its fine common of geese, its generous duck-pond, and wide straggling street of old houses and new. Too many new, to my mind rising easily to the graceful early English church with its slender shingled spire. Just beyond the church is one of the most beautiful of timbered houses in Sussex, or indeed in England. When I first knew this house it was a farm in the hands of a careless farmer. It has been restored by its present owner with the most perfect understanding and taste. For too long no one attempted to do as much for East Mascals a timbered ruin lying low among the fields to the east of the village, but quite recently it has been taken in hand. A quaint Linfield epitaph may be mentioned, that of Richard Turner, who died in 1768, aged 21. Long was my pain, great was my grief. Surgeons I'd many, but no relief. I trust through Christ to rise with the just. My leg and thigh was buried first. I must not betray secrets, but it might be remarked that the kindly yet melancholy study of Wealden people and Wealden scenery, called Idlehurst, the best book, I think, that has come out of Sussex in recent years, may be read with some special appropriateness in this neighbourhood. North of Lindfield is Ardingly now known chiefly in connection with the large school which travellers on the line to brighton see from the carriage windows as they cross the viaduct over the ouse the village a mile north of the college is famous as the birthplace of thomas box the first of the great wicket-keepers who disdained gloves even to the fastest bowling the church has some very interesting brasses to members of the wakehurst and culpepper families who long held Wakehurst Place, the Elizabethan mansion to the north of the village. Nicholas Culpeper of the Herbal was of the stock, but he must not be confounded with the Nicholas Culpeper whose brass, together with that of his wife, ten sons, and eight daughters, is in the church, possibly the largest family on record depicted in that metal. The church also has a handsome canopied tomb, the occupant of which is unknown from ardingly superb walks in the sussex forest country may be taken the end of chapter 22